Good morning, everybody. I'm on. Yeah, hello. How are you? God's good? Are you good? All the time. And even if you're not, you'll be good by the end, right? Because God's good. Whatever you're going through, God's bigger than. Amen. He's already come out the other side of it, and he knows what's happening, and he's going to lead you through. Wonderful. Well, I've got uh, a... um, PowerPoint, you think that should come up in a minute, but I uh, just want to share with you for a little bit this morning and then we're going to kind of respond uh, appropriately. If you could go to the next slide, uh, who's back there, Alicia? Great. So we're looking at uh, discipleship at the moment and I want to, as long as I don't fall off the platform, I want to continue uh, my theme and hopefully inspire and uh, uh, leave your thought provoked and uh, with a sense of, uh, of God's purpose for your life. Um, uh, last time I spoke, which was a couple of weeks ago, I looked at the journey of a disciple and because we've been concentrating on point number two, disciple, for a bit. And so I thought, well, we need to just take a step back and look at what comes before being a disciple, and that's being a son. Uh, our primary identity is not disciple or leader. Our primary identity is son. Uh, and that means this. You are loved before you do anything. You're just loved because you're family. All right. And that is the most important thing. If you never get to disciple or leader, you're still cherished. God loves you. I love you. We love you. This is still home. Right. Uh, Because your primary thing is your family. And I don't care whether you're a miserable prodigal son, older brother that stays at home and we all just, you know, kind of put up with your misery or whether you're the naughty prodigal who disappears and does naughty things and we just hug you when you get back, we're still going to love you because that's what God's like, okay? And restoration always begins with love. It doesn't begin with judgment. And, uh, and so uh, just really grasping that, that I am completely loved. And in fact, you cannot move on to disciple healthily until you grasp sonship. It comes out kind of wrong. You, you tend to sound, and there's a lot of them around the world, you become a grumpy, judgmental Christian. You ever met one? It's because they haven't drunk from the cup of freedom yet. And so they're trying to do disciple, and some even get as far as leader before they're truly free. And it makes you a grumpy leader or a grumpy disciple because they've not truly grasped, hey, sweetie, if you never do a thing for Jesus, you're fantastic still. Yes. And when you get that, that's called righteousness. I'm right with God, however it goes. Certain person actually say, you're right with God, however it goes. Okay, you, you, might, you might have some kind of internal drive that's seeking to find fulfillment through what you do, but God doesn't see you like that. On your, on your days when your prayer life works, he loves you. On your days when you forget to pray, he loves you. On your days when you fast, he loves you. On those days when you sneak a Kit Kat in your mouth, he still loves you. I remember it was so freeing as one of my heroes in a big extended fast in a ministry to be in. And, you know, we were about week two into this fast and we were all getting skinnier. And I spotted him stuffing two Kit Kats into his mouth saying, now I've got something to repent of. And he was one of my heroes, you know, a real man of God. Uh, you're loved, 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 so precious. Um, and when you get that, then you can move on to the next step in a healthy way, which is so follow me. Go on a journey, grow, stretch, Let, wrap your life around the teachings of Christ and they will transform you. Today, I want to go to point number three, which is where you end up when you grasp that you're loved, uh, sonship, 
that you can grow and stretch and change with discipleship, uh, that inevitably leads to the end game. Because the end game is not disciple. The end game is influencer, leader, to make disciples, to influence, to transform. And that, you might go, well, I don't feel like a leader. Listen, if you've got kids, you're a leader. If you, if you influence any life, if you give advice to your neighbor, you're a leader. Yeah. Right up to, you know, areas of work uh, and church and things like that. Leadership is something that comes to all of us. And, and the better uh, that you grow as a leader, the more you're going to transform your world. And so I want to talk about that a little bit today. Um, just grasp this, first of all, son, disciple, leader. Catch this. Discipleship is not about the church trying to put you through a sausage machine and out plops another charismatic. You know, who, right, who raises their hands at the right, right moment and fills all of our teams with all the things that we want to do in these four walls or whatever four walls we end up in. That is not what disciple is about. It's not about running church better. Disciple is about you becoming all that you can be. Disciple is the pathway to your dream. And if you don't have a dream, disciple is the pathway to get a dream. And so discipleship is about growing you because your dreams are precious put there by God. You have the indent of heaven in your life. There's something of the fingerprint of God in you. To be honest, whether you're saved or not, the fingerprint of God is on you. The, you were made in his image. There's something divine about you. And discipleship just brings that out, rounds it off, matures it up, gives it support, gives it confidence, ups its skills so that you can be fully effective as you. I, I sometimes joke with the staff, usually we're discussing areas or discussing even areas of, forgive my speech impediment, areas of communication. And I say, oh, I wish we could just employ the whole church because then we'd be together 35 hours a week and we could all communicate better because it's really hard to communicate when you get about an hour and a half a week together. It's quite difficult to do. But actually, that, that really, it might be my, my solution to the struggles of communication with a large group spread across a region, all meeting for very short amounts of time. But in truth, it's absolute nonsense. We're not meant to be sitting in this building looking at each other's navels. We're, we're meant to be as lovely as your navel may be, I'm sure. Inny or outy? Tell your neighbor whether you've got an inny or an outy. Go on, just tell him. I'm, you're looking at me all religious. i got an inny, by the way. <coughs> my, <coughs> my brother, who's not here, <coughs> he's got an outy. How weird is that? <coughs> Bizarre. <coughs> now I can't talk. <coughs> that went down the wrong way. <coughs> Am I doing something wrong, Lord? <coughs> We're not here to turn out good people for a machine called church. It's about developing dreams and fulfilling dreams. That's what it's all about. Because um, we're here to touch and transform society. In 1996, I had an encounter with God in South Africa. And it was a vision of the glory of God moving. Some would call it revival. Some would call it moves of God. I don't really know what to call it other than I saw amazing things. But actually, largely, most of what I saw was not people meeting God in church buildings, though I did see that. I saw the power of God hitting parliament, the power of God hitting media, the power of God hitting businesses, the power of God in the marketplace, the power of God on streets. That's what I saw. An amazing move of God that didn't sit in church buildings that actually touched 
society. Our end game as disciples is to be equipped to touch society. In Ephesians 4, when it says church leaders are there to equip God's people for works of service, that works of service, we start to think, oh, right, it's to make good stewards on the stewarding team and good techie guys and good worship leaders and good preachers and good connect group leaders. No, it's to make great people that can transform society. That's what church is about. We gather to train, to go out and change the world around about us, right? So really, the emptier this place gets, the better, because it means you're all out there transforming society. Amen? Amen? Amen. Tell the person next to you, yabba dabba do. <laughs> so I want to talk to you about your life outside of church a little bit today, and hopefully to inspire you. If we can go to the next slide. God wants us to, to touch uh, society and to transform society. And um, I, was, I was in a conference this week and they were talking about this. So I'm going to share that some of these thoughts kind of came up in that. And I thought this is really good for the next step of discipleship. And think about your life and your work life or your life outside of what you might think of as the church building or the church gathering. And... Um, Ed Silvoso, a great teacher, he brought up some of these points. I've changed some of the wording to to, to connect with what I'm doing. But point number one, he said, there are some people who come to church, but actually all week they're surviving. If I, the, the, the level of my hope is that I scrape through and remain at least half morally pure and come out the other end. If I can reach next Sunday, still believing in God, we're on a good thing. Then there's a lot of people. He says the vast majority of people live at number two. I want to thrive as a Christian in my life. And I keep my Christian values in a fallen world. So I pray, I read the Bible, and I retain my sense of spirituality, and I retain my values. And that's where a lot of people would live. A lot of people that are here today would live at number two. But we want to raise our eyes this morning and realize, hang on a minute, there's a three and there's a four. What is this all about? It's not just about retaining my Christianity and my virtue and my values Monday through Saturday. Here's what we go to. Number three, could it be that I influence, I bring my Christian values? I work in a school not just to retain and hopefully hold on to my sense of holiness and value, but to influence the Christian school with values. Right To influence a business with values. To influence my street with the values of heaven. Anybody say amen? You you can amen me all you want. Bring my Christian values to a fallen world. But then again, I want us to rise even higher this morning. Is that okay? And we're going to look briefly at what it is to do number four, which is to transform the world, to bring the kingdom. Not just a bit of influence that people are a bit more loving and a bit nicer and a bit kinder and doing things for the right reasons. But actually, here's the end game of what we're here for. Not to have nice church. We're here to transform, to bring the kingdom to my sphere of influence. What level are you living at in your life right now? Are you surviving, thriving, influencing, or transforming? I I, I pretty well could guess wherever we are at on that list, we can go, right, I'm going to take it to the next level. And that's what discipleship does. It's how do I go to the next level So I'm not just, oh, thank God I made it through the week without swearing or getting immoral or watching what I shouldn't into actually I am I am a force to bring the values of God into my workplace or my street or among my neighbors 
or even better, if that's where you're at, right, now I'm going to realize it's not just enough to make it a little bit more like the attributes of heaven. I actually want to bring heaven. Thanks, mom. Work with me. You're here, you're here to have heaven fall in the hairdressers. Have here to have heaven fall in the shop, here to have heaven fall in the school, here to have heaven fall in the business, here to have God move in the boardroom, here to have heaven fall in the hospital, here to have heaven fall on the police force, here to have heaven fall in the media. (laughs) What's our end game? To have a good church? No! To be a power-filled, kingdom-empowered church that has the confidence and the skill and the ability and the sense of dignity to, to, to not just bring values, but to bring the kingdom into what I do. That's what we're here to do. That's what discipleship's all about. That's the end game. Amen? You with me? So we've got to go from survival to transformation. That's our end game. So uh, next slide, please. Well, how do we do it? Number one, we've got to see it. Say see it. You've got to imagine it. You've got to get your head. Because I, I, I guarantee when I start to go, okay, can, can, a, can a, a school be filled with heaven? Not just a worship service, but can a school be filled with heaven? It will never happen until you at first begin to think it could. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm working on this morning. I want you to raise your eyes from surviving as a Christian in a fallen world to we're here to transform this world yeah. with the kingdom of God. That's the end game of discipleship, right? You've got to see it, imagine it. You've got to lie your head on the pillow at night and dream about God touching your staff and God touching your work colleagues and God touching students. And Don't even think about the legalities. It's amazing how things can change, right? We're talking about a move of God here, not, not, not a move of convenience. Um, but the end game is to transform, yeah. right? So let's have a little look at that in the scripture. I think that's the next slide. What we got? Here we go. So the Bible is a great place to start thinking about what God's end game is. Look at these scriptures. Let's just read. Well, I'll read them to you, some of them. So we talked about being sons of God. Guess what? Creation, all of creation, the world, East Yorkshire, is groaning. Have you heard the groan? Yeah, you want to hear the groan? Go out on a Friday night on the streets. Go out on a Saturday night. Um, go, go hang around social services. Go hang around a hospital. You'll hear the groan of East Yorkshire waiting for you to be revealed. That we actually go, son, disciple, influence, leader, right? Think of this. Jesus said, make disciples. Now, you know, we're using this theme that we're called to make disciples. We've been talking about that, I don't know, for six weeks, something like that. But he doesn't say make disciples of each other or, you know, the one sat next to you in a church building. This is the, this is the vision height of Jesus. He says, right, <clears throat> this might be a bit above you right now, which is what I'd have need to get me in the mood to hear what he's about to hear. Make disciples of nations. Yeah. What, the governments and politics and education and medicine and media and finance? Yeah disciple nations is the end game. Now, if we can't disciple people, we'll never disciple nations, but the end game is that we disciple nations. Anybody want to say, wow? Wow. Wow. Say it backwards if you want. Wow. Um, Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come. 
you know, on earth as it is in heaven. I left that one out. On earth, on East Yorkshire, just like heaven. In the hairdressers, in the school, in the businesses, in the boardroom, in the finance, in the police force. The end game of the church being in East Yorkshire. I don't just mean this church, I mean the church. The end game is God redeeming the governmental structures of society, redeeming the people, right? Uh, He said, listen, Luke 19.10, he came to seek and save He doesn't just say he came to seek and save those who are lost. Catch that salvation is so much more than that. He says he came to seek and save that which became corrupt and was lost. Who made all authority on earth? God. Principalities, powers, so we think of all the spiritual ones, but what about all the physical ones? Who made government and kings and strata of society and who caused education to, to rise up in the way it did and, and medicine and business and all these things? You, you, you look at the pages of scripture, you'd understand that God made all of these bits of society yeah. and he made kings. That's why we're to respect them, yeah. right? That, that's why we're to give them honor, not because they're worthy of it, but because God made that position and we better honor it if we want to be blessed by it. It is a spiritual position in the country to be a prime minister. Whether you agree with what they do or not, it is a spiritual position. Kingship is a spiritual position. And so we need to put our spiritual minds in. Now it says that Jesus came to seek out and to save not just those who are lost, but that which was lost. God wants to transform society. Uh, let me read this one. Uh, Colossians 1.16. Are we, are we blowing minds yet this morning? Good. All right. This is fun. For in him, in Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him. So the kingship of a nation, the authority of a nation, the government of a nation created through him and for him. And here's the news. He wants it back. Somebody growl. He wants it back, right? And look at the end game. Revelation eleven fifteen. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God. The end game. Psalm 72, 11. All nations shall serve him. What's the end game? Government, business, medicine, education will one day bow down before the king of kings and say, he is the Lord. He is the king. He is the one who's redeemed, bought back the world given as a new heaven and a new earth. Yes, you're going to go to heaven when you die, but that heaven will be on a new earth. It's going to be just like the beginning again, where man walked the earth, but walked in heaven all at the same time. (laughs) Amen? Just a little snap. So what does that look like? Go to the next slide. This is what it was like in the book of Acts. You get things like this. Imagine this. It's a city, right? Jerusalem. Can you imagine them saying about this about Hull, because how the church are? You have filled Hull with your teaching. Acts 19, all of Asia heard the gospel. Oh, in fact, by Romans 13, he was saying, I've got no place left to preach. Yabba dabba. Uh, Stuart was telling me this in one of your history books that you read, and the Romans would say that Christians are everywhere. We know that Paul made it to the palace garden, having a revival in the palace guard, places of influence and authority. Note this from the book of Acts. We were looking at this this week as well. Catch this. When, I'll just read it. When a revival, in other words, 
when they had a move, they came in, God's spirit would move, people would get saved, all this kind of stuff, miracles and all that. There's, there's, there's some great ones through the book of Acts, but there's two different sorts. And just listen to this. When a revival only touched a city spiritually, in other words, in the church buildings and in Christian meetings, it was quite quickly chased out of town by the authorities. But when it touched authority and governance and people of influence and business, it thrived for years and brought transformation of society. You go study the book of Acts and you look when God moved. You'll see if they touched the places of authority and influence, they had favor and it thrived. If they ignored them and just did their Christian thing, they were chased out of town with riots. We are here to transform this region with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you get it? Just start to imagine that. We're not here to build a great bunch of nice people in a cinema. Our work is Monday to Saturday. Yeah. Our workplace is our ministry. Yeah. Right? I want as few of you on my full-time staff as possible because I need as many of you high caliber out transforming society. Yeah. You need to be out there influencing the places where you work. Thank you, both of you. It's challenging though, isn't it? Because oh. sometimes we even design church to aspire to be in full-time ministry as the ultimate. no. You end up as just the coach. You actually never get to play on the field if you end up in ministry, right? Because um, we're all in ministry is the other way of looking at it. Uh, and so um, uh, how that, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, good. Okay, that next slide, please. You, you, you're getting something from that. Yeah. So the first thing is you've got to see it. And there we just seen it in the Bible. Now, um, a few stories just to bounce off the back of that, and then we're going to pray. Um, uh, the end game is the transformation of society. And a couple of really, you kind of think, well, how will that happen? Here's a couple of pointers. Um, number one, well, actually, number two, sorry. We've seen it. Now, serve it. Kindness, care, and prayer. Um, I went, I was being shown around the Houses of Parliament by an MP a few years ago. And it's fascinating, the scripture that's on the floors of the House of Commons and the House of Lords. There's scripture everywhere. You're talking to this MP, and a Christian guy, chatting, chatting away and talking to him about how it is to be in politics in our country as a Christian. And he went on to talk about a very senior politician who will remain nameless. And, um, and he said, you know, he came in a good Christian man. He came in with faith. He came in with a hope to bring something good. And slowly, it's been bashed out of him. Just conflict after conflict after conflict. And I said, you know, who did that? The Houses of Parliament? He said, oh, no, 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 the church. Wow. Nobody destroys their own like the church. Because we don't get, when someone gets into a place of authority... Number one, they're facing demons like you never faced before. Number two, political maturity or media profile, whether that's an artist or a politician, does not equate with spiritual maturity. And some of us think, well, if they're not tongue-talking, giving an altar call in you know, Prime Minister's question time, they're, they're kind of faking it and not, not really going for it. Um, we think our job is here to sit in a cinema and critique to be a question time audience to critique what they're doing. You will never 
change an enemy. You will only ever influence a friend. And our danger is that, you know, whether they're pop stars or politicians, we make them our enemies by thinking we're going to line them up, judge their Christian, which probably pretty shows how much we judge each other. Morality, things we say, things we caught them doing or think they might be doing. That they, they kind of fudged that issue and didn't come all out, you know, but, uh, quoting scripture at people, especially King James. You know, nobody's more grumpy or judgmental than the church. We don't realize that we're here to transform society. That's right. We've got to love each other. Now, I, I, we've never really spoken about this before, but I did think, you know, I, I have at times had opportunity to bring politicians to our stage. But I've sometimes wondered, I wonder what we'd be like. I wonder if it would be a question time audience or a kingdom audience. Yeah. In other words, let's wreck your policy or we love you. Thank you for taking responsibility, whether we agree with you or not. Our issue is how can we serve you with kindness? Yeah. Now, do you know what that would do? That will give you influence with places of authority made by God. We've got to learn how to love places of authority without dissecting everything they do. Because the reality is, if we were in that position, we wouldn't do very well anyway. Because essentially the country is ungovernable. It's, a, it's all a bit of a nonsense. It's a pantomime. Right. So we've got to start loving places of authority yeah. and people and realize, ah, you know, whether we agree with it or not, they're going through stuff. And I'm not for a moment advocating right or left from this platform. I'm saying that, that, that what we need will not come from the right or the left, but from above. It'll come from heaven. That's what we really need. So I don't care their persuasion. I care. Can we somehow connect this person to heaven? Yeah. So we got a hope of a little bit of heaven coming to earth where they are. Does that, that make sense? I just, I just wonder what would happen. Just think of it for a moment. Joseph chose to serve an ungodly, uh, uh, um, idolatrous Pharaoh. He was happy to be his number two. In fact, the thing with Joseph was, whether it was Potiphar or the head of the jail or Pharaoh, his attitude was serve and love and be kind. It'll get you influence. Learn how to use your mouth, really learn what not to say. And listen, in a city that closes its gates on the king, we need to learn how to speak to influence again. Yes. We need to learn the power of honor again. That you, sometimes you just honor because authority requires honor. And only when you give honor, one day further down the line, can you bring change. Yes. But actually standing wagging the finger never gets you any power. Anybody noticed, right? You don't want to be influenced by people that are just judging you every two minutes. But when somebody walks up to someone in power and says, I'm praying for your kids. Yeah. What? I'm praying for your wife. Yeah. I'm ignoring what the papers say about your private life. And I'm just praying for you. You're a soul on a journey. Yeah. How are you? Yeah. How powerful does that become? Yeah. Joseph was using his gifts of the spirit to bless an ungodly Pharaoh. And look where it got him. The yeah. gift makes room for the giver and ushers him into the presence of the great. That's a proverb. Yeah. So we need to use influence. Daniel with Darius, he served this ungodly, idolatrous king. And, and Darius became this guy's friend. If you went through Darius's beliefs, you'd be like, oh my giddy aunt, what's he doing befriending him? He's bringing the kingdom influence. In the end, Darius said, everybody must serve this guy's God. He is the God of gods. 
But it doesn't come by finger wagging. It comes by, let me bless you. Let me care for you. Let me be kind for you. What can I pray for you about, right? We need to learn to be kind once again. We need to learn how to touch lives that are in places of influence. There was a singer many years ago who was in an Assemblies of God church, which is a church just like this one, tongue-talking, spirit-filled church, that became a great musician, but they chucked him out because he wiggled his hips a little bit and they rejected him. And his name was Elvis Presley. And if you, if, if you, you look online, you'll find Elvis Presley singing songs like, he touched me to his audiences. Oh, he touched me and oh, the joy that filled my soul. And songs like, there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I know it is the presence of the Lord. He would gather people like Cary Grant and Lucille Ball around his piano after concerts say, hold hands, bow your heads, I'm going to sing. Listen to this. And he'd sing, he touched me as tears streamed down the face of these people. But the church rejected him. This week, I've just been listening to things like his backing singers saying we would, we would stand together and pray. We were always, seemed always praying and always singing, much more than in the concerts. And they said we, we'd stand around and this one guy said, it was one of the, I don't know what the imperials or, you know, I don't, that's a mint, isn't it? Anyway, one of them. <laughs> and they, they said we were holding hands and he said, I just thought of that time because he said, now we're going to pray. And of course, not all these guys were Christians at all. And he said, now we're going to pray. And this guy thought, oh, I wonder if we're going to talk about heaven. And Elvis said, oh, we'll get to that. So what do you mean? He said, you want to know about heaven? We'll get to that next. And then, he, then they started to pray. One of the backing singers was diagnosed with cancer. He came into the dressing room after a concert. All the backing singers looked glum. What's up? So-and-so has just been diagnosed with cancer. Let's pray. So they stood together, the four of them, and prayed. And then he reached out his hand and put it on her abdomen and said, in Jesus' name, I speak to this cancer and I command it to go. She went for tests the next day. This is what the backing singer says. Went for tests the next day. She was completely healed. But the, the church rejected a potential place of great authority because we put judgment before kindness. You get to authority through kindness. You'll find... Take this to any place of work. You want to you get on the side of your boss? Forget the corridor conversations. Go along and say, are you doing okay? Anything I can do? Anything more I can do? And even if the relationship gets to that point, can I pray for you about anything? One guy in Thailand, we were hearing about this this week, and uh, 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 oh, it was, there's a, apparently, I'll tell you one last Elvis story. They're good, aren't they? They're interesting. One last Elvis story. There was a whole line of girls that was, um, uh, came and, and sat in the middle of an Elvis concert, and they had a big banner that said, Elvis is the king. And in the middle of the concert, they stood up uh, and lifted the banner high, Elvis is the king. And Elvis stopped in the middle of the concert, and he said, no, 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 Jesus Christ is the king. And then he carried on. <laughs> but we reject it. Because if it doesn't fit our little Pentecostal model, we don't know what to do with people. What stars are out there that can't even go to church? So they're never going to look like you. But they're opening their Bibles and they're worshipping in their little groups and they're trying to figure out, how can I bring a little bit of heaven to earth? It's what we're called to do. An AOG minister in Thailand, um, uh, he'd, he'd been there 16 years and uh, again, met this guy last week, He'd been there 16 years and he saw 46 people saved in 16 years. And then he suddenly discovered this that I'm talking about today, 
that we're here to transform society. And then by a series of events, one of the things that happened was God told him, change what you're going to preach. I want you to preach on corruption this morning. Oh, okay. So he goes to church. Then he notices the chief of police for the area walk in just before his sermon. And he's like, God, shall I still preach it? And the guy, God says, yes, still preach it. So he starts to preach on corruption and corrupt officials. And uh, partway through his sermon, the guy, the guy walks out and leaves. And he's thinking, oh, no, this is it. This guy could throw me out of the country. He's probably had it. Anyway, three days later, he gets a phone call. I'd like lunch with you. So he thinks, well, at least he's a nice policeman. He's, he's going to have lunch with me and then kick me out of the country. And then when they had lunch, the policeman sat down and said, I'd just taken a very large bribe of a million U.S. dollars. When I was invited to your church by one of your congregation, I came and you were speaking on corruption and the Lord convicted me so much that I went straight out of the meeting and go and gave the bribe back. I actually walked out with half a million dollars more. I can't go into the, 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 the different sides of the story, but anyway, he sits there in this restaurant with one and a half million US dollars in a bag and goes, can I give it you? <laughs> And the pastor goes, I don't want it. <laughs> and the, police, the, the chief of police goes, I don't want it. And it goes back and forward a few times. And then the pastor says, should we feed the poor with it? And he says, yes, let's feed, that's a good idea. Let's feed the poor. And he said, do you think Jesus will ever forgive me for taking a bribe? He said, he'll forgive you of that and so much more. And there in the restaurant, and of course, this is a well-known man. Um, there in the restaurant, he kneeled down and he prayed for him. Uh, and that man gave his life to Christ. Yeah. And... Um, he then said, this is influence, he then said, what can I pray for you for? Well, the population of Thailand has grown by such and such, but we've no more policemen than, I can't remember what it was now, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I need more policemen. And this pastor said, I'll pray that you get more policemen. Three days, no, it's shorter than three days. You remember what he said. He picked up the phone and it was the chief of police and he says, well, your God is fast. I've just been given 7,000 more policemen. Essentially, this guy also saw the mayor of the region saved. And by a series of events, the mayor, through similar sorts of things, ended up saying, will you be my advisor of righteousness? In a Buddhist country, pastor, will you be my advisor of righteousness? This man is now advising uh, the president or the, what could be the future president on the new constitution coming into Thailand. He's a pastor. But he suddenly realized we're here to transform society. Now they're seeing whole villages saved after saved after saved after saved as God moves. When we realize we're here to bring kindness, we'll start to have influence with places of authority. Amen. Does that make sense? But you cannot influence unless you make a friend of those authorities. Does that make sense? So serve it. Oh boy, I've run out of time. And the very last one then, transform it. If we serve, then we'll be led to transformation. We'll see God move and touch places of power. Think of Wilberforce, think of Wesley, where transformation came to nations. Think even of the recent gypsy revivals in this nation. Just a few years ago, 5,000 gypsies came to Christ very quickly. And they started to settle and they started to name their streets like Holiness Road and Righteousness Street. A whole society transformed by God moving in and changing it. I think about uh, a man in the United States and he had a, a class of students, uh, you know, uh, university students. And they were learning about the ability to transform society. And they, they said to each other, do you think as a class project we could transform a nation? And they started to think about that because until you see it, and most probably sat there going nuts. 
And they said, well, why don't we start with a small one? And they found a small island nation that was largely being taken over by a, a business. I can't remember whether they were taking oil or minerals or what it was they were taking from the land. So they decided, they worked out, let's buy shares in this business and then we'll have influence in that nation. And they read all the small print and they realized they were due to turn up to certain board meetings. And in fact, every shareholder did have the legal right to ask for five minutes to speak in the boardroom in a board meeting. And so the 20 students turned up together and they said, no, it's here in the small print. We're allowed in. And the guys go, they're right. We have to let them in. So they let them into the boardroom and they said, right, and we need our five minutes each. No, you can, fi you can have five minutes as a group. No, no, no. It says every shareholder is allowed five minutes. We're having our five minutes each. And they'd worked out their talk in 20 little parts. And the first one got up and talked about the kingdom of God and righteousness. And then the next one got up and talked about how a nation needs to be cared for and the love of God and things like that. Then the next one got up and talked about medicine. Then the next one about education education, then the next one about church life, then the next one about governance. And they spoke to this board and in half an hour transformed the thinking of the board to where this board now says, okay, we will put medicine, we will put church, we will put education into this island nation and transform it for you. And so a little university class, by being a bit wily, by being a bit forceful, managed to transform this little island nation with the kingdom of God. We can bring transformation. There are cities in Mexico today where the crime rate has gone 80% uh, down in violent crime and kidnapping. There are places in Mexico where the churches have grown from 5,000 members to 250,000 members. There are Christians that have worked with difficult schools where there's violence and prostitution and they've worked with them through... <laughs> oh, I haven't got the time to tell you the full story, but they, they took one school and transformed it. It had prostitution in the school. And through basic kingdom principles, they transformed this school. And then uh, the head of education for the area, I think it was, said, I give you a thousand schools to do the same with. This is today. If we realize the end game of discipleship is not better church, but it's better church. Right? Better church. True church. We go out and transform it. Would you put my last slide up, please? I'm sorry I've gone on a bit long. Has it been okay? Yeah. Is that, you know, I know it's, it's challenging, isn't it? It's stirring stuff. What's the end game? When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, the fortunes of a city, we were like men who dreamed. What can you dream for your city or your business? Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. It was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We're filled with joy. Restore our fortunes. It's okay to say, restore the fabric of society, finance, family. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Listen to this where, it's where I'm getting to. Those who sow with tears, that's discipleship, will reap with songs of joy. That's influence. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow. I don't really want to go out and transform society. I don't want to change and become Christ-like. I don't want to move from surviving to thriving to really transforming. I'm quite happy just to hide in church on a Sunday and hope that none of my friends, let alone my work colleagues, know that I'm a Christian. Those who go out weeping, going, okay, this requires me taking up my cross and changing. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves. 
What, what did Jesus liken the harvest to? Right? Yep. We need to go and bundle up a harvest. And I just wonder, this is my, my end thought here for you. That one day we'll walk into heaven and I wonder what you'll be carrying. And I think many of us thought, perhaps I've survived. Or even I've thrived. I've been a good Christian. But how's about you walking up to the throne of grace at the end of your life and saying, I brought you my school. I didn't survive my school or just be a nice influence. I actually brought you my school. There's schools where that is happening around the world today. How's about I, I brought you government? I brought you my street. How's about, you know, this will, this will touch every heart. I brought you my kids. I brought you my grandchildren. That's what discipleship is all about. I, I'm bringing you my business. It became a little bit of heaven on earth. I brought you my shop. I brought you the charitable sector of a city. I brought you the police force. I'm bringing you the fire, whatever they call force, department, brigade. Thank you. Getting suggestions. <laughs> I'm bringing you business. Can you, what God expects us to do is to lay business after business after business like crowns at his feet saying, we brought it back to you. We redeemed that which was lost. We brought it back to you. Business and streets and cities and governments and media. We kept bringing, we brought back to you whole institutions, authority places. We brought back to you creativity. We brought back to you the arts. We didn't reject the Elvises or the U2s. We brought them back to you. We bring them back to you. We bring them back to you. We bring you nations. We bring you presidents. We bring you kings. Because the end game is the Bible says kings will parade before him, bringing their nations behind them. We're bringing you nations. We're bringing you kings. We're bringing you kings. And your little part is your kids or your street or your business or the business in your future. Don't just survive it. Take the discipleship journey and transform it. And there'll be times of weeping when you go, I don't know how to do this. It's too big. Don't start with your business. Just start with your team, whatever. But the end game is I want to walk in going, God, we're bringing you back the, the, the stratas the authority places of an entire region. I want us to walk in and lay East Yorkshire at the feet of Jesus. Instead, we're bringing you harvest. We're bringing you harvest. Let's stand together. Just keep playing Phil for a moment. Can I have the other microphone wherever it is? Thanks. Jesus. Jesus. So close your eyes. You just, we've just got five minutes left to pray. What do you want to carry back to the throne? It might be too mind-blowing to think, but just start to dream, start to see it. What are you going to carry to the throne that makes your weeping worth it? A street, a family, a neighbour, a shop, a business government, a council, a sector. Just let it start to stir within you. I don't want to survive. I want to thrive, influence and transform. Let your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's raise our hands together for heaven.
God, there are people in this room that will lay businesses at your feet that will be utterly transformed by the kingdom of God. Some who will lay the arts, some who will lay sectors, some who will lay streets, some will lay families, God, for everyone the call is different. But God, awake us that we're here, not to run a nice church, but to transform society. I just pray a wave of your spirit would touch every life in this room right now. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh. Your workplace is your ministry. It's your calling. Your street is your ministry. You are the pastor of your street. You are the pastor of your department. You are the pastor of your boardroom. You are the pastor of your team. You are the pastor. Go and minister the kingdom of God. Minister the kingdom of God as you teach children, as you run business, as you work in that team, as you answer the phone, as you interact with your bosses, bring the kingdom. Don't be like every other worker. Say, I'm a Joseph, I'm a Daniel. I will learn how to speak to places of authority, which is so much more than the person. It's the position. And I will bring the kingdom of God through kindness and service and prayer. Pray for your boss. Pray for the ones who oversee you, that the kingdom of God will come. Become their prayer partner. God, I pray you give us divine appointments where we see this begin to unfold in our lives. Even this week, give us little ideas of how the kingdom can begin to come in our workplaces, in our homes, in our streets, that your kingdom would come in Jesus' name.